Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have to ask, are you there? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you experienced? Anyway, hi, how's it going? What's new? I realize that this audio cast this month is coming at you a little late, but a bunch of things confluenced. No, that, that's not a word. A bunch of things happened all at once. A bunch of things came together, conflued at the right time to push the release of this particular episode back a few days. The Easter holiday happened, which, you know, I, I spent with my family, so I decided to not work over the Easter weekend, spend time with the kids, hide some eggs, eat some ham, you know, the stuff you do, or at least the stuff my family does. And what happened was April 1st happened on Thursday, and I don't like to release the newsletter and podcast on a weekend. I feel like when I do that, it gets lost. If I release it on like a Friday night or even a Thursday night, people don't pay attention to it as much because they're maybe away from their computers or they're paying attention to other things and they're not getting emails, perhaps. So I like to try and release things early in the week because I find that there's better click-through of people actually reading the thing. And if I'm putting time into it, I would like people to read it because if no one's reading it or listening to these things, why am I spending all my time on it? They take a while to produce. I got to write the newsletter and have it proofed and make sure all the links work. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. I spend several hours a month doing that. And then I have to record this. I have to edit it. I have to put together the Atomic Tales episode for the month, which we have a great one coming up at the end of this show. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of time spent. So I don't like to release things on the weekend. Now, April 1st fell on a Thursday, and I'm sure you're saying, well, what the hell does that have to do with anything? But the truth is, I always do an April Fool's joke every year, except last year. Last year just didn't feel like a particularly jokey time. But this year there feels like there's a little bit of hope going forward. And so I did a very light April Fool's joke about our fun little buddy Stu, the puppet from the Mimiverse holiday special uh, was acting like a diva. So I didn't want to release the newsletter on the first and I never released them before the month they're from. So that would have put me into April 2nd, which was a Friday. So again, we run into the same problem I was just talking about, about releasing things on the weekend. Then we end up with a weekend of Easter festivities and family time. So can't release it then or even really work on it because stuff. And also, and one of the things that I'm most excited to announce, is that on Saturday, April 3rd, I received the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a skeptical vax person, I don't get it because the science seems pretty damn sound. We got a lot of, a lot of data telling us that it's sound. And honestly, at this point, I don't want to see any more people get sick and die. I want to do my part. Also, I don't want to get COVID. And if I do, I don't want to end up in a hospital or dying. I don't want any of those things. So I thought, I'm going to get the vaccine. 
Last month, I signed up for a let-me-know-when-the-vaccine-is-ready mailing list thing through the state of Minnesota where I live, and last Monday, I believe, I received an email saying, hey, you've been selected to get one, sign up right now, and I did. And I found a very cool program set up, a, a community vaccination program set up, that they're doing these sort of mass vaccination sites. And I saw that one of them, which was taking place in the Minneapolis Convention Center downtown, was giving the Janssen, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is one dose. Now, here's the thing. I am deathly afraid of shots. I hate them with every fiber of my being because for as long as I can remember, I pass out. I hate passing out. I always describe it to people like, it feels like you're dying. And it's embarrassing. It's one of the most unpleasant feelings in the world, at least to me. I hate it. And for some reason, when I get shots, I have a tendency to pass out. I'm not great with medical stuff. I'm just not. And when I have to get a shot, I make it clear to any medical provider who is doing this that I must be laid down flat. It's a thing. If you pass out, they lay you down. But I hate it. I hate even thinking about it. It makes me anxious considering it. But it should tell you a lot about how important I felt it was to get vaccinated against COVID-19, not only just for myself, but for everyone around me and for my community, to make sure that this stupid-ass thing that we've been dealing with for a year ends. And I want it to end, and I know you do too, and I'm not going to be one of those people who says, well, if we just let it run its course... If you do that, hundreds of thousands of more people will die, and this will last for years. And I don't want to do that. I want to go back to normal. I want to show my movies in theaters and be there. And hell, I want to just go back to the movies and feel safe. And I want that for everybody. And I want that for everyone across the world. Not just as a, as a selfish thing about why wanting people to see my movies. Because you can watch my movies online. And in fact, most of you listening, that's where you see them. So I'm okay with that. The point is, is I want to go back to the movies. I want to go to concerts again. I want regular life to resume. And the truth is that will not happen until we collectively step up to destroy this thing. So I said, you know what? I hate shots with every fiber of my being, but I'm going to get one. And I was excited to be able to get one. So that should tell you a lot about how passionate I was about getting it done. And again, it's not just about me. I want every one of you listening to survive and live the longest, best quality life you can have. And one of the ways we can do that as a society, as a community, I always talk about community. One of the ways we can do that is by getting vaccinated because it will help drive down the numbers and squash this stupid ass virus before it gets a chance to mutate into something much more horrific and turn us all into zombies. I don't want to be a zombie. Do you? And if you do, what the hell is wrong with you? Anyway, so I was selected to receive my vaccine as part of this community mass vaccination thing at the Minneapolis Convention Center. For the week, I was pretty, you know, nervous because I really hate needles. But I was going to do it. I was dead set. I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. And when the day came... I was pretty much a nervous wreck. I'd set it up for Saturday, April 3rd, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I had a bunch of choices, but I'm a night owl. I didn't want to get up at 9 a.m. to go get a shot. That sounded horrible to me. I mean, just having to get up that early sounded horrible to me. 
So three o'clock in the afternoon, perfect. Perfect for me. So I got a ride down there by my wife, Stephanie, who you all know is the queen of snakes. She hates driving in downtown. So again, this shows how important she thought this was. And we found our way down there pretty easily, actually. It wasn't that hard. And actually, it turned out we knew the area better than we thought because an actor who has been in several of my movies who does not drive, and I have driven and picked up several times, lives really close to where I was. So it wasn't as scary or alien as I thought it might be. Granted, I'm not afraid of downtown. I've been to downtown Minneapolis and downtown several cities many times, and I'm not intimidated by one-ways and hard-to-navigate streets. Steph, on the other hand, very much is. But she drove me down there, and I hopped out of the car, and I walked into the place, and a friendly gentleman said, vaccinations or testing? They're apparently doing free testing in this place too. I said, vaccinations. And he said, back that way. So I walked down a long hallway all the while, my adrenaline spiking, and I'm like, I'm getting a shot. I hate this. I hate it all. I hate it. I don't want to do it, but I got to do it. I don't want to do it. Get out of there. Like my brain is saying, get the hell out of there. And my heart is saying, no, do it. And then my brain is like, but needle. And my heart's like, needle suck. Get out of there. And I'm like, no, shut up. You two we're going. So I get there and there's a little intake table and a guy says, show me your email that says that you, you signed up for this thing. They got to make sure that the people who were selected get to do it. So I showed him my little email and he gives me a surgical mask type mask, which I put over the mask I was already wearing. And he ushers me into this large open space that's full of tables of people, all of whom are getting shots. And for me, this is my version of hell because I'm in a room full of people getting needles jabbed into their arms. And for me, this is the worst thing ever. So I'm in a line looking at the floor, doing everything I can not to think about the fact that any of this is happening and it will soon be happening to me. Luckily, the line moves very quickly. I get up to the second table where another person checks to make sure that my name and phone number are in the system, then checks my temperature. Everything's fine. She sends me to someone else. This guy says, okay, let's see. Look, oh, table 26 right over there. Let's go over there. So he brings me back to table 26 where I sit down and a very nice nurse who I don't remember her name because at this point I'm just doing everything I can to stay conscious and not freak the hell out and start hitting things and leaving. And I sit down. And she's very nice. And she's like, okay, so today we're going to be giving you a shot. And I'm like, I know I pass out. I just, I lead with it. Cause I just, I, I, they need to know. And she's like, oh, you do? I'm like, yes, I am a fainter. She's like, you're a fainter. I said, yes, I am a fainter. So what do you do about that? And she says, well, I don't want you fainting on me and hitting your head on this concrete floor. So we're going to get someone over here to take you to another area where we can lay you down and a doctor, not a nurse, a doctor will be administering your shot. And I'm like, cool, let's do that because I don't want to faint. She says, I don't want you to faint. And we agree at that moment, I don't want to faint. And she doesn't want me to faint. So she raises her hand. Guy comes over with the walkie talkies like, what's going on? She says, this guy's a fainter. He's like, he's a fainter? I said, yes, I am a fainter. I will faint. And he says, okay, let's get a doctor over here. He gets on his walkie-talkie. He says, we got ourselves a fainter. And I said, yep, I faint. He says, we got ourselves a fainter. Let's get a doctor over here. So this nice woman comes over and she's like, okay, you have a tendency to faint? I said, yes, I pass out. She says, you're a fainter, huh? I'm like, I am a fainter and I don't want to faint. And she's like, I don't want you to faint. And the nurse says, I don't want you to faint. And the guy with the walkie-talkie, well, he didn't care. He moved on. 
So the doctor says, well, here's what we're gonna do. The nurse is gonna load the syringe and fill out your little vaccine form. And then I will take you to a cordoned off area that has cots, we'll lay you down on one, we'll give you the thing and bing, bang, boom, we're good. And I'm like, great, because I don't wanna faint. She's like, we don't want you to faint. So the nurse at this point is like, wait a minute, what's going on? I'm like, I don't wanna faint. She's like, I get that, but if I'm not gonna actually administer the shot, shouldn't you be doing the prep of the shot and all that? And the doctor says, no, I'm gonna watch you do it. And then you give it to me. And she's like, but I'm not actually doing it. So I'm not filling out the chart and I don't feel comfortable with that. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to observe you doing it. And then our friend here, Mr. Mim is going to watch you do it as well. So we know that the handoff from you to me is legit and we'll take him over. We're good. This whole time they start kind of arguing over how the nurse didn't really want to do it. She didn't know if she should. And the doctor's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm here. It's fine. I, It's okay. And she's like, well, but I'm not doing the chart. And I'm like, God, stop it. Okay. The longer I'm here, the worse this is getting for me. Shut up and just get on with it. And I think I started not breathing at that point basically holding my breath and they both noticed because they both kind of went hey you doing okay breathe where's your favorite vacation spot and I'm like I don't know I've never gone anywhere on vacation because I'm always working and I realized at that moment I never take a goddamn vacation all I do is work and when I do take quote-unquote vacations or the family and I take vacations I go somewhere and work while they take vacations for instance I'll go to Blobfest that was a great vacation for them and honestly for me it was really fun too because I love Blobfest but at the same time I was working so not really a vacation and I've done that for 15 years I've never just gone somewhere to be somewhere and do nothing but enjoy myself I don't do that apparently but that hit me at that moment that's not what this story is about so they notice that I'm getting a little woozy and pale. So they're like, hey, breathe, uh, vacation. And I start talking about how I work a lot. And that brought me weirdly back. And at that moment, the nurse is like, okay, I'm going to prepare this shot. I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. I said, it's all CYA. I'm observing it all. We're good. All your butts are covered. Let's just get this done. I actually said this. They laughed, luckily, and didn't just give me a look like, shut up or we'll stab you right here. They giggled, I laughed, uh, probably more uncomfortably than I should, but I was very uncomfortable. I mean, out of the corner of my eyes, I could tell people were getting stabbed with needles, and I just, get on with it, okay? So the nurse takes out the vial, she shows it to me, and I'm like, okay, great, uh, I'm going to look away. And the doctor says, you can't. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't? I don't want to look at it. She's like, you have to watch it happen because we're going to be passing it from her to me and you have to see what's happening. And I'm like, I don't want to look at it. I don't like needles. She's like, you'll be good. You're fine. And I'm like, really? Do I have to? And they're like, both in unison. Yes. And I'm like, oh, okay, do it. So she pulls it out. I see the vial. Okay, it's a vial. She shows me it's the, the Janssen thing. Okay, great. She, you know, wipes the, the little top and she pulls out a needle. She's like, this is the needle I'm going to be using. I'm going to be giving you this much. I want you to make sure that you see that that's as much as I fill the syringe with. And I'm like, great, this is amazing. Get on with it. Now, here's the thing. The last vaccine I had ever received was a tetanus shot in 2015 while we were making Wearskeeto Nazi Hunter. I was building a set with... Elliot Mim, who you all know, my son, who plays Danny Johnson, he was helping me build a set for Schramm's Torture Dungeon. <laughs> and in the process, I accidentally stabbed my hand with a carpet knife razor blade. And it bled a lot. And I was like, I think I need stitches. And this is 2015, so at the time I'm 39 years old. 
And I remember telling Steph, I said, I think I need stitches. And I showed her and she's like, yes, you need stitches. And I was weirdly zen about the whole thing, probably because it's like the worst part of it. The actual stabbing myself was over and it really didn't hurt where I hit it. I don't know if there's just not a lot of nerves there or what. So I was weirdly zen about it. But Steph was kind of freaked out like, oh my God. Anyway, she got me there, and while I was there, they asked what happened, and I explained what it was and what cut me, and the nurse at the time said, okay, well, when was the last time you had a tetanus shot? And I said, when is the last time you need it to be able to go to school? And I will never forget the way she looked at me, like, you're a grown-ass man, and it's been over 20 years since you've had a tetanus shot? And I just kind of chuckled, and she's like, you need a tetanus shot. And this is the same time, too, when I just, I didn't want stitches because that's just another needle, right, stitching me up. And I, I don't, no, thank you. And I told the guy, I was like, hey, what about that surgical glue stuff? And the guy was really excited because he was like, ooh, surgical glue. I haven't done that stuff. That shit's fun. No one ever lets me do the glue because it's scars. And I'm like, it's on my hand. Scars are cool. Chicks dig scars. And he's like, yeah, let's do this. I made his day. Anyway, to get to my original point, I see her get the tetanus shot ready, and she pulls it out. And the needle is not very big, right? It doesn't have to go very deep. At least I don't remember it being very big because I wasn't particularly super freaked out by it. I mean, it's still a needle, so I didn't really want it. And I, I made a point to distract myself while she was giving it to me. But it was not a very big needle since she did it, and she did a great job. And then it was over. Now, back to my covid vaccine and I, I hope this doesn't discourage anyone but of course a lot of this is colored by my own fears of needles but we go back to where we were she shows me the vial and she pulls out the needle and she's going to load it up so she pulls the little cap off the needle and it's not a tiny little tetanus one it's not a little you know inch long thing it's like i don't know, in my mind it's like six inches long right i mean it's it's obviously for deep tissue and to me it looks like a god dang turkey baster and not just a turkey baster but like an extra long one that will not only penetrate through my arm but into my you know lung as well hell they're gonna poke it all the way through my body and it's gonna come out the other side that's how long it looks to me and i'm like okay we're doing this oh god and they're like you can do this hold on i'm like i'm a fainter they're like we're aware you're a fainter but you gotta watch this and i'm like i don't want to watch this why are we doing why do i have to watch this i believe you guys okay i won't sue you but they're just like you gotta watch so she does the thing she loads it up she shows me how much is in i'm like this is great this is wonderful i love this let's let's do this please dear god get me out of here and the doctor says okay now we just gotta fill out his thing and i'm like why'd you have to load the needle first could you fill out the thing first then give the needle so we can get out of here so i don't have to be sitting there knowing it's just right there in the doctor's hand right next to my face you know it's out of i almost said out of frame that's the filmmaker in me it's out of my peripheral vision but i know it's there so they fill out my little vaccine passport card which is pretty damn cool and give it to me and they're like don't lose it so i put it in my wallet put it somewhere safe Oh, you know, I should mention another thing. They asked a little about allergies. Now, I don't have a lot of allergies other than, like, ragweed, right? But I do have a weird intolerance for black olives, which is the weirdest damn thing in the world, but I've actually found other people who can't handle them either, so not that weird. And I don't know exactly what it is. It's very specific to black olives, and when I eat them, my body kind of goes into shock and I throw up a lot. So when they asked if I had any allergies when the nurse was getting everything ready, she's like, well, that's a weird one. And I don't know if that's going to apply here, but because you have it and we just still don't really know, we are going to observe you for an extra 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's fine by me because I would love to spend 15 more minutes in this torture chamber. I mean, it's like 
freaking Hellraiser for me, all right? But not like a good cheesy horror movie. It's just a horror movie in a bad way. Anyway, the doctor says, okay, you ready? You feeling okay? We can get over there? And I said, yeah, let's let's do this. So I stand up and I'm feeling okay. She's doing a very good job of hiding the, the syringe so I don't see it. And we walk through the giant recovery space, which is just like probably a hundred chairs spaced six feet apart for people after they've received their vaccine. Cause you have to be observed for 15 minutes to make sure you don't have any horrible things. She walks me through this recovery area and there's a lot of people just sitting there on their phones, just hanging out, waiting for their 15 minutes to be up. She walks me over to a doctor and she says, this guy faints. And he's like, you faint? I said, I faint. I'm a fainter. And he's like, okay, see, I have no shame about this. I'm not embarrassed. I'd be more embarrassed to faint. And I don't want to because it feels like dying and I don't like that feeling. So he's like, okay, let's go. So they bring me into this little cordoned off area that has four cots. This is more my speed. This is more my jam. If I got to do this shit, this works for me. So they bring me in and they take me to the last cot and they go, okay, lay down. All right. So I lay down and she says, what arm do you want it in? And I said, well, what difference does it make, you know, as far as like soreness? And they're like, well, it kind of goes both ways. Some people say one thing, some people say the other. So a lot of times people do it in their non-dominant arm because they're going to be using it. I don't know. What do you think? And I was like, why? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want it either way, but I don't know. And they say, okay, well, what, what side do you sleep on? And I'm like, my left. And they're like, oh, are you left-handed? I'm like, no, I'm right-handed. So they're like, so it doesn't matter. Pick one. I'm like, okay, well, how about you do it in the right? Because then I won't be sleeping on it. And they're like, okay, perfect. So lay me down, they get me all set up and I'm staring up at the ceiling and I'm thinking to myself, this is for science, this is for America, this is for the world, this is for my children, this is for my, oh my God, that hurts. Because at that point they, they stabbed me with the seven inch needle into my arm, through the bone, of course, and into my right lung, penetrating all the way through to my stomach, probably, at least in my stupid mind, that's, that's how it feels. That's, that's, that's me at that moment. Then I take it and she pulls it out. She puts the little bandaid on. And at that moment I realize I have not been breathing for the last 30 seconds. And I breathe and she's like, okay, you made it through and you're still conscious. And I'm like, time will tell. And she's like, okay, well, the doctor over there will make sure you're okay. I have to go see other people. If you feel anything, let her know as best you can. And I'm like, okay. And she left. Now this other doctor was with another person in this area who was sitting up on their cot. So this person was probably a fainter as well and knew it. And this person was ready to go because they got up and the other doc helped them out the door. And then I was alone after a three minutes. And I'm like, what? Shouldn't I be observed? I mean, I get it when you're in the recovery area in those chairs, there's so many people in that area. If you fell over or something or raised your hand, the doctor standing there looking at all of them would notice. I'm alone in here. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> all right. And at that moment, then I took a phone call from Stephanie and she's like, how'd it go? Are you done? I'm like, yeah, I got the shot. I'm still alive. I'm still here. Nothing so far. She's like, okay, so you done? And I'm like, no, I have to wait here 30 minutes because of my weird olive intolerance allergy thing. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, all right. Luckily, uh, she kept me distracted just talking about uh, some home improvement stuff we've been doing. And we talked about um, 
how I can go see my mom again soon. I mean, it's just like, it was, it was, it was the best thing that could have happened is having her call. I was just planning on like playing some video games to distract myself because I have a phone and video games have been proven to calm people in stressful situations. They did cool experiments dealing with like kids and having surgeries and which kids had more or less anxiety. They'd let kids watch movies. They'd let kids uh, play video games before surgeries and the kids who played the video games were calmer. So that was cool. So I was like, I'll just do that. But talking on the uh, the phone for half an hour worked really well because I wasn't thinking about the fact that I had a nine inch long hole that went from my shoulder all the way like through my right lung and my esophagus into my left lung because it was actually it was like a foot long needle that they gave me and then pumped 1.5 milliliters of liquid using a 10 inch needle sorry three foot long needle i mean it just went out the other side i don't think i actually got any in my system because it went in one arm through my entire body out the left arm and just squirted onto the floor at least i think that's what happened at least that's what I felt like happened. That's not what happened. But in my phobic ass head, that's what happened. But no, just sitting there talking, it was okay. Although it was pretty funny because we were talking for a little bit. And she's like, okay, well, I told her it's going to take a half hour. She's like, okay, we're talking for a little bit. And she's like, how long has it been? Are you done? Are you close to done? I said, let me check. I looked at my phone. It had been two minutes. I was like, no, we still have 28 minutes. She's like, oh man. And I'm like, I know. You think I don't want to get out of here? I know what's happening in this room. I know how many needles are being pressed into people, poked through people. But in all seriousness, the work these fine people were doing is, these are angels, damn it. They are doing the Lord's work, solving problems, preventing disease and death. What's better than that? I mean, what's more awesome than that? They're helping to destroy this stupid ass virus that has been plaguing us literally, for a year now. And I'm sick of it. You're sick of it. So I got vaxxed. And I hate needles. But I volunteered, willingly went into a den of horribleness and let a complete stranger who was fantastic at her job, let her stick a needle into me and inject me with a liquid that, let me tell you, didn't make me feel great. Because... After it was all said and done, I got out of there as fast as possible, and I was fine. Until about six hours later, when suddenly I'm like, I just don't feel good. I'm just kind of tired. I feel kind of headachey, you know? I feel warm, but I don't have a temperature. I just feel like something's happening. And about 12 hours later, I was shivering with a fever. Like, I felt like I had a pretty intense flu. And I'm like, I guess my immune system is working. It kind of kicked my butt, and I was like crazy thirsty. I drank probably a gallon of water. I slept, I thought, pretty well, but Steph said I just like tossed and turned and moaned like I was dying all night. But I woke up the next day, and I felt okay. Still a little lethargic. That was the best way to describe it. Just kind of tired, just wanted to sit around and swing in my hammock, and the weather was gorgeous. So all things considered, I was okay. And here I am now, a couple days out, I feel fine, my arm is sore, but it's my right arm and I don't sleep on it, so it's okay. And I feel pretty dang good that I did it. And I look forward to having full immunity. That said, I'm glad I picked the Johnson & Johnson one, because I'm not doing that twice. I mean, maybe eventually they'll have to have a booster, I get that. 
But I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope they don't need to because I don't want to do that again. I know in my life I'll need more shots, but I don't want any. And if I don't have to have them, I'm not gonna. Because I hate them. But I survived. And the truth is, if I can survive, and you're listening to this and you're on the fence, it's worth it. And if I can do it, you sure as hell can do it. And if you're one of those people who's like, not for me, well, I think you're wrong. And if I lose you as a fan, I can't fight with that. That's up to you. I think we can disagree, but I think you're wrong. Because I think it is very important to step back and understand that by doing this, it's not just for you. It's for your loved ones. It's for the people around you. It's for the vulnerable people in our communities and in your family. And even if you've had COVID, it's not the same. Get vaccinated if you can, when you can, however you can. Help people who have not been vaccinated to get vaccinated. I'll say it one more time. If I can do it, you can do it. So that was my weekend. That is why this is late. April Fool's Day happened. Couldn't put out my newsletter on that. I'd, I'd ruin my, my April Fool's joke. Then it was Friday, and I can't do that. And it's Good Friday, and it's Easter weekend. Plus, on Saturday, I got a vaccine. And then I was pretty laid up by the side effects. And now, finally, here I am. It's Monday, and I'm recording this. And uh, I'll be editing this tonight and getting it out to you guys. So, do it. Together, let's do what we can. Let someone poke a six-foot-long vaccine needle through your body and inject you with 1.5 milliliters of something. Here's the truth. If someone poked you with a six-foot needle, it would go all the way through you and poke the guy next to you. So really, what's the problem? All right, that's just ridiculous. I get that. But I'm very proud of the fact that I did this. I'm proud of every single one of you out there who has done this or is planning on doing this. And again, if you're on the fence, you'll make it. You'll be okay. I hate shots. We just, we need to as a society, kill this damn thing. And this is the way to do it. So let's do it. Okay, so on the Mimiverse front, things are moving. The big news is we finished shooting the Mimiverse holiday special. Principal photography is done. The only thing we have left is we have some special effects shots, but I mean, I need to get them before I finish it, but it's not part of principal photography, at least not in my mind, because it doesn't require any actors. It requires me and, well, I could do it alone, honestly. I have about half of it edited, which is very exciting. It will be out this year. I'm just going to say it. It's going to be out this year, later this year. You can still contribute to it at sateuphoria.com slash holiday.html and get your name in the end credits, and I encourage you to do that. Here's the thing. It'll be coming out later this year. If you know someone who likes cheesy monster movies or a kid who likes puppets, this special is very much geared toward hardcore Mimiverse fans, but then also kids, because it's a Christmas special, very much like Charlie Brown Christmas or something like that. It's got puppets, it's got kids, it's kind of an offshoot Phantom Lake Kids thing. It's cute as hell, and it's funny, and Santa Claus shows up. And I'll give you one guess who plays Santa Claus. But I'm not going to tell you, you just got to guess and then figure out if you're right. Some of you out there already know who plays Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus is his own self. One of the things that's really exciting about finishing up principal photography of the Mimiverse holiday special is that means pre-production of the next movie, The Phantom Lake Kids and the Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended, has officially begun. So we're in post-production on our holiday special. We're in pre-production on our next feature. And I'll tell you right now, scripting has already begun on some other projects. So I'm feeling hopeful after this very messed up year 
we are moving forward and a lot of great stuff is happening. And on top of that, I've mentioned this before, the Butch vs. Evil video game I'm working on, past the halfway point now. We got people playtesting it, and when I say people, I mean my kids and their friends playtesting it, and they're finding glitches and fixing stuff, and actually rather enjoying playing it. I mean, they, they dig it. It's very retro, but they're digging it. They're digging the difficulty level, because I'm trying very hard to tune it to, well, if this makes sense to you, this is definitely a game for you, to Ninja Gaiden levels of difficulty. Mega Man levels of difficulty. It ain't going to be super easy. Even the first levels, they're not easy. You jump right in and it's rough. It's hard, but it's fun and challenging. And when you complete a level, it'll feel like an accomplishment. And then you realize that it really wasn't that hard, but it felt like it was super hard until you beat it and you learn the level and you learn the secrets. There's lots of secrets. There's lots of hidden things. There's collectibles. It's solid. And I'm I may have bitten off a little more than I can chew with the size of the game, and that's the only reason it's not done. But I think that in the end, that will be what makes it awesome, is that it is a fully realized Mimiverse set retro Nintendo-style video game. And I'm really excited for people to try it. I'm also very excited by the fact that the Mimiverse is now expanding into other forms of electronic entertainment. So we got movies, a couple TV series ideas that are past idea stage let's say that so lots of stuff happening so that's what's going on in the memoverse i got my shot you should get yours working on stuff you can still contribute to the holiday special you can contribute to the next movie and as more projects become more realized you'll be able to contribute to those as well that all said please remember that the memoverse runs on contributions And I thank you very much for everyone who has contributed, even in the smallest ways of just spreading the word. The more people know about it, the better. I'm hoping as more and more of us get vaccinated and virus levels fall throughout the rest of the year, that maybe, realistically speaking, we can have some sort of live premiere for The Phantom Lake Kids and the Beast Walks Among Us this year. It's going to be in the fall. I'm not releasing that movie to the fall. Just saying that right here and now. I mean, it's already April. I would have announced a release date in April or May by this point. I'm just telling you, it's going to be the fall, September or October. If we can do it live, we will. It may be outside, which that might be kind of cool. Or it might be in the heights. It might be safe enough. If it's safe enough, we're going to freaking do it. But we don't know yet. But if you're planning on coming and you want to come to the world premiere of The Beast Walks Among Us, it will be happening later this year, in some form or another. If it has to be digital, if things don't go as well as we hope, then it's digital. And eventually we'll have an event where we show all the movies we didn't release live in theaters. We'll do a a double feature or something. But we'll figure it out. The point is, we're moving forward, things are happening, and I'm grateful to have gotten this far in life. And I'm happy that I've been able to do these things and meet the amazing people I've met and made friends with the amazing people I consider friends. And even those who I'm no longer friends with and old friends who have resurfaced. I'm very much grateful for you. And I just want you to know that. Okay? 
We don't have a Kansas City Crypt this month again, unfortunately, but um, Rich Chamberlain's a busy guy. He's got a lot of stuff going on. I got a lot of stuff going on. When he has the time to put something together for us, I'm always happy to play it. Hopefully next month. We'll see. It's up in the air. But we do have another episode of Atomic Tales from our friend Stephen D. Sullivan. So for now, we're going to turn it over to that. It's a fun episode. It's a little different than it's been, but not crazy different. But you'll figure out why pretty quickly what I mean when I say it's different. And then when uh, that's all done, I'll come back. I'll probably say something you've heard me say before. So let's check out the latest episode of Atomic Tales. Stephen D. Sullivan and St. Euphoria present... Atomic Tales! Stories of science, mystery, and excitement. This episode features the latest adventure in our fantastic original series, Strange Invaders. Tonight, we continue our adventures as our heroes investigate a curious fisheries problem off the U.S. Pacific coast in Bugs on Board. Join us now as we present another in our continuing series of Atomic Tales! Look alive, you two. The crab boat's first mate commanded. I don't care what government agency you're from. If you mess up our catch, you'll find yourself swimming home. Agent 8 and I nimbly stepped out of the way as the mate and the rest of the crew of the Dragnet Danny hauled another set of crab pots onto the ship's deck and added a handful of fat crustaceans to their catch. U.S. Science Bureau. 8 reminded our host. The mate squinted at us appraisingly. That's a fisheries thing, right? Too bad you came all this way for such a scrawn to catch. <laughs> he laughed bitterly. You want to weigh each of these babies? Not fisheries, I replied. Just looking into the recent fishing boat disappearances. Oh, yeah. The first mate said. Captain Dan mentioned that. Don't know what you expect to find. <laughs> he chuckled again, then added. Is that maybe a husband for you, uh, miss? Agent 7, I replied coolly. If we knew what we were looking for, Eight interjected, we wouldn't be here. We'd have to call an airstrike. <laughs> he laughed, but his reply made the sailor nervous. You could do that? The gruff seaman asked warily. Only if necessary, I assured him. Or if we end up swimming. He swallowed hard and went back to work with the rest of the crew. Agent 8 shot me a sly, collegial grin. You don't really think that flying saucers are responsible for these fishing boats going missing, do you, Seven? He asked. The two of us resumed scanning the horizon for lights in the sky or anything unusual. I shrugged. Since we don't know what UFOs are at this point, it's hard to tell. But there have been sightings in this area, and four ships have gone missing. Five, you can count that beat-up ghost ship the Coast Guard salvage. Yeah. I'm just the muscle here, Ruth. Eight continued. You're the science buff. You or the Terragon's got any theories? Too early for theories, Bill. We need more facts. I returned his smile. That's why we're here. I'll tell you one fact, he said. Donna is going to kill me when I get back in my clothes soaked with salt and smelling like fish. He gave his slicker a cursory sniff and then held his nose. I chuckled. Things were pretty stinky here. Tell Donna to be glad that I talked Agent Zero into letting us wear civilian garb for this job. Just imagine the dry cleaning bill if you'd been in a suit. It glanced sideways at me, unsure whether I was serious or not. I let him wonder. 
Bill's a nice enough guy, and great in a tussle. They don't call him Wild Bill Hayes for nothing. But he's not the sharpest pencil in the box. He and his wife Donna are well suited to each other, both long on looks and short on brains. Having Bill along is better than being stuck with my brother on an assignment, though. I never have to argue with eight, because I outrank him. My brother Richard, on the other hand, is Agent Six, and he never lets me forget it. As the ship cruised along to its next set of pots, eight and I kept our eyes peeled. Nightfall over the Pacific cast lovely shades of orange and purple across the sky and sea, but it also brought a chill to the air. I buttoned my slicker and started to lick the ocean spray off my lips, but then remembered myself and wiped the moisture away with the back of my sleeve instead. Salt water stings the eyes, and consuming it will make you sick quickly. Better not to even enjoy a bit of its tempting saltiness. I took a swig of fresh water from my canteen and then offered it to eight. He drank. Not gin? He asked, feigning disappointment. I laughed and clipped the canteen back into my belt. Eight and I needed to stay on our toes. This wasn't a relaxing cruise. Little mistakes on the open ocean can get you killed, especially at night. Far to the west, I could just make out spotlights from the San Diego airport playing over the low-hanging summer clouds. That wasn't a swim I wanted to make. I hope we see one of these things, Eight said. A flying saucer, I mean. I never have yet. Have you? Hard to say. I've seen some lights, but... I shrugged. Yeah, my wife's been getting into the saucer craze. He went on. You know, that contact tea thing where people say they've talked to the aliens? She thinks that's all real. What do you think, Ruth? I shook my head. Not enough info, but I remain skeptical. Yeah, it seems pretty batty to me. But if it keeps Donna happy and away from the bingo hall. The crew of the Dragnet Danny was hauling in another line now. From the way they were grumbling, they didn't seem too pleased. Their take had been unseasonably light recently. Other local boats had reported a steep fall off in Catch 2. Those boats that actually returned to port, anyway. A gap-toothed crewman grinned as he pulled on the line. Feels heavy. Maybe we got a good haul this time. Better not just be seaweed, snarled the first mate. Many more days like this and we'll all be looking for landlubber jobs. No, man. I got a feeling about this. This time, I think we got lucky! His scream ended with a sudden splash as he pitched overboard. Everyone on deck ran to where the fishermen had disappeared, but before we reached the spot, all of us skidded to a stop. Up over the ship's rail surged a living nightmare. It looked like a pillbug, segmented and heavily armored with feelers and multiple sharp-tined legs. But it was pale as death and as big as one of the agency's Studebakers. It scrambled onto the deck, climbing up the line of the crab pots. What the devil? The ship's mate blurted. He'd been closest to the rail as the giant bug emerged from the sea. But now he backed away fast. Aid and I had already drawn our sidearms, but a crew member with an axe ran into our field of fire. With an angry scream, he hit the thing on its armored carapace. <laughs> the axe barely left a scratch, and a swipe of one of the bug's segmented legs sent him sprawling to the deck, bleeding. Aid and I both fired, twice but her shots had little more effect than the axe. As the first mate dragged the injured crewman away and all of us back toward the wheelhouse, a second bug clamored aboard, and then a third. What are these things? Agent 8 asked as we retreated. Trilobites? Sea isopods, I replied, but a hundred times larger than any ever reported. Any bright ideas, science girl? Shoot for the antennae. They use them to see. 
Their eyes are stunted from living in the depths. Take the right on the lead bug. We hit our targets, and the bug at the front of the pack shrieked and flailed aimlessly, its antennae disabled. The isopods behind it, five more of them now, ran into their thrashing fellow, which delayed the swarm long enough for us and all the crew to reach the wheelhouse. I think we know what happened to those mission ships now. Eight noted as we secured the door behind us. What are those things? The first mate asked, terrified. Apparently, Captain Dan and several other fishermen had been injured on the other parts of the ship by invading bugs before scrambling to safety. A couple of the crewmen looked like they might not make it. Freaks of nature, I replied. I don't think this wheelhouse will keep him out very long, Seven. Agent Eight warned. I hoped the others didn't notice that his gun hand was trembling and mine was too. My eyes darted frantically around the cabin searching for some solution. I'm working on it. The huge isopods chittered with excitement as they surrounded the wheelhouse. Their hundreds of jointed legs scrabbled at the hull, trying to find purchase to force their way inside. Did you government tops know these things were here? The mate demanded angrily. If we did, do you think we would come in a fishing boat instead of the U.S. Navy? Eight snapped back. The hideous face of one of the monsters pressed up against the windshield, its segmented mouth parts snapping. That glass was built for storms. But I didn't think it would last long. The steel hull might not either. Eureka! I shouted. Get everyone up on the seats and wooden benches away from the metal walls! I used a handy fire axe to rip open one of the cabin's panels, revealing the ship's main power line. I got on a wooden chair, improvised some insulation for my hands out of my slicker, and hacked through the big cable. Nobody touch the hull! The front window of the ship caved in, and a truck-sized isopod stuck its ugly head inside. They're coming in! He cried, emptying his clip into the invading bug. I snagged the sputtering cable with the axe head and shoved the power line against the nearby bulkhead. The isopod shrieked as sparks flew, and everywhere they touched, the steel hull lit up electric blue. A sound like a thunderclap shook the entire ship. And for a moment, everything went white. Then silence fell like a shroud over the dragnet Danny. When all our eyes cleared, the ship looked like it had been through a hurricane. But the bugs were gone. We patched up the electricals, restarted the engine, and limped back toward San Diego at the best speed we could muster. As the crew tended to their injured, Aid and I stood guard at the ship's rail. So what do you think caused those things? Toxic dumping? Radiation? UFOs? Aid asked. Maybe the Terragons will have some theory, I replied, shaking my head. One thing's for sure, though. They're not going to like that the bugs have reached the West Coast. Well, I don't much like it either. Nor do I, I agreed, settling in for what might be a long, stressful night watch. Agent 8 sighed. Well, one good thing, at least Agent 7. What's that? He chuckled. (laughs) At least we didn't have to call an airstrike. This has been an original story of Strange Invaders, part of our ongoing series of Atomic Tales. Brought to you by St. Euphoria Productions and the Monster Conservancy. Tonight's episode, Bugs on Board, was written by Stephen D. Sullivan. It was produced, edited, and read by Christopher R. Mim and featured Stephanie Mim as Agent 7, Ruthless Ruth Donlevy, Joe George as Agent 8, Wild Bill, Michael Kaiser as the first mate of the Dragnet Danny, and Elliot Mim as the Doomed Fisherman. 
Please support the films of Christopher R. Mim at SaintEuphoria.com and the work of Stephen D. Sullivan via his Patreon at PaySteve.com. All elements of this episode are copyright 2021 by their creators and may not be reproduced or reused without permission. Atomic Tales and Strange Invaders are trademarks of Stephen D. Sullivan, all rights reserved. Join the conversation at SaveMonsters.com. This is the St. Euphoria Audiocast Network. I like that episode a lot. It took a little more to produce because it required extra actors and different stuff, but it was really great to get Steph to record the story. Uh, my friend Joe George down in Texas, Michael Kaiser shows up, my son Elliot again. Good stuff, good stuff. I'm really digging the Atomic Tales, and I think Steve and I would really love to watch that grow and grow. And maybe at some point we can work in something crossover related into the Mimiverse. Maybe. I mean, it certainly fits with the tone and tenor of what I do, right? Especially since I'm reading them and putting them together. It feels like a Mimiverse thing. It's a retro giant bug thing, which I made a giant bug movie once. Have you heard of it? <laughs> of course you yeah. have. Sorry, I'm just joking. But you know what I mean? Steve and I have talked about it, and he's definitely mentioned how cool it'd be. Doesn't mean it has to be, though. Let's be honest. I mean, Atomic Tales is its own thing. It's kind of a co-production of Steve and I. He's the man behind it, and I'm the guy who, I guess, brings it to life, at least in this medium. I think it's awesome, and I'm having a good time making it. And I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are producing it. Thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, get vaccinated if you haven't been. And if you have, congratulations. Good job. I hope it's been easy. And it wasn't the ordeal it was for me. But uh, I'm kind of dramatic, and I hate needles. So I hope you enjoyed my very, very dramatic retelling of my vaccine experience. I'm sure yours will be much less ridiculous. Please, if you would, contribute to the holiday special while you still can. Perhaps that would be a good holiday gift. I'm planning on releasing it in November, so there exists a very real possibility that the physical media part of it will be released at the same time. So you could even give it as a gift, perhaps. Get someone's name in the credits, and then you're like, hey, watch this holiday special thing, but pay really close attention to the credits. Plus, you'll get your cool certificate that says you contributed to it with someone's name. Can you imagine a more unique holiday gift than their name in, in, a, in a holiday special? And not only that, but look, here's the holiday special. You could watch it and see your name right here and now. I mean, how cool is that? Right? So contribute to that, or contribute to the upcoming film, The Phantom Lake Kids, in the day the Earth abruptly almost ended. You can do all of that at SaintEuphoria.com. And like I always say, if you can't remember that, go to TheGiantSpider.com and you'll find your way to where you need to be. And lastly, before I go, as I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Love your neighbor. Watch out for each other. Care about your community. You're a part of it. Take care of each other. Be safe. Be smart. Listen to the goddamn scientists. Get vaccinated if you can. And together, we can destroy this stupid thing that has been ruling our lives for a year now. Until we speak again, I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim. I love you. Talk to you later. (laughs) 